Felicity Lemon here. First things first. I pride myself on being no-nonsense. Logical, pragmatic, and above all, efficient. That, in a nutshell, is who I am. My employer, Hercule Poirot, quite a fussy little foreigner, shares many of the same traits, which is why we are a good fit. Which is why I was appalled to witness him succumb to rank superstition during his latest case. The one the sensational press insists on calling the curse of the Egyptian tomb. Artist Ensemble Theatre presents Mysterious Journey, Theatre for the Mind. In this tale, an ancient Egyptian curse strikes those who dared enter a forbidden tomb. From the pen of Agatha Christie, this is Poirot and the Egyptian Curse. Bonjour, Miss Lemon. A beautiful morning, no? Very pleasant. Lady Willard has requested an immediate appointment. Oh, yes? She sounded quite urgent. As your morning was free, which you would have known if you had consulted the calendar I update, she is due to arrive at ten. Miss Lemon, you are a marvel of efficiency. And who is Lady Willard? The widow of Sir John Willard, recently deceased. Murdered? Heart failure. Bah. Although... Yes? The papers have been excessively lurid in their coverage of his death. But why? To boost their circulation, no doubt, because of the curse. Behold me intrigued. Pray continue, Miss Lemon. As you know, ever since the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb, the public has been obsessed with Egypt. The fabled curse of King Tut? Precisely. Thus, a short time later, when Sir John Willard discovered the tomb of King Menhera... Et voilà! A sensation. Exactly. And now that Sir John has died... Not only Sir John. There are more? Yes. Within a fortnight, Sir John's partner, a Mr. Bradshaw of New York, died of acute blood poisoning. The car strikes again, n'est-ce pas? Oh, rubbish. Unfortunately, within days, Mr. Bradshaw's nephew shot himself. Now the papers are full of the curse of Menhera. But of course. And now Lady Willard wishes Poirot to investigate a curse. I could not say. Why not? I did not ask. As always, Miss Lemont, you are splendidly lacking in curiosity which is, in itself, most curious. Oh, that will be Lady Willard, who is gratifyingly prompt. Yeah, bien. By all means, show her in. I ushered Lady Willard into Poirot's office. With any luck, I should now have some time to myself to continue cross-referencing the case files. Miss Lemont, would you be so kind as to take notes? Uh, of course. Now, Lady Willard, you wish to consult Poirot? Yes, but not solely as a detective. That is, uh, you are a man of original views. It is true what you say. I am unique. Tell me frankly, Monsieur Poirot, what are your views on the supernatural? You refer to the demise of your late husband. I, yes. So you wish me to investigate the circumstances of his death? I wish you to ascertain how much of this Curse talk is newspaper chatter, and how much may be founded on fact. Three deaths, Monsieur Poirot, each one by itself unremarkable, but taken together, and all three within weeks of opening the tomb. And do you yourself truly believe an ancient curse to be the cause? Of course not. It's absurd. And yet, three deaths. I am afraid, Monsieur. My dear Lady Willard... For whom do you fear? For my son, Sir Guy. 
Like his father, he is obsessed with Egyptology. After Sir John's funeral, Guy departed immediately for Cairo. To carry on his father's work? Yes. Oh, Monsieur Poirot, I am fully aware how foolish I sound. No doubt you think my fears nonsensical. Huh. Did you speak, Miss Lemont? No, sir. Ah, bien. Lady Willard, your fears are no laughing matter. I, too, believe we must not discount the power of this curse. I could not contain my look of surprise. I should never have credited Poirot with being superstitious. Yet he seemed entirely in earnest. You desire that I, Hercule Poirot, find a way to protect your son? Yes. And so I shall. But first I require data. Tell me about those who have died, beginning this your late husband. Sir John is... was... One of the world's foremost authorities on Egyptology. And his associate, Mr. Bradshaw? Quite the contrary. He was a wealthy man who liked to dabble. Sir John's work caught his fancy and Mr. Bradshaw agreed to finance the expedition. And Bradshaw's nephew? Was he a member of the party? I don't think so. I never even knew of his existence till I read of his death. Who are the other principal members of the team? Dr. Tate with the British Museum, uh, Dr. Ames, the expedition's physician, Bradshaw's secretary, and Hassan, who supervises the Egyptian labourers. What sort of man is Bradshaw's secretary? The sort who is a woman. Miss Harper, earnest, bespectacled, American. Is it unusual for a woman to be part of the team? Very. However, Mr. Bradshaw insisted, and he... Held the purse strings? Well, yes. It is decided. I, Hercule Poirot, will take the case. After many reassurances, Lady Willard finally took her leave. I returned to my work and kept my opinions to myself. Ah, Miss Lemon, your disapproval is written on your oh-so-English face. Not my place to approve or disapprove of your beliefs, however ill-advised. Do you have a task for me? Toujours pratiqué, Miss Lemon. Cable New York for details regarding young Mr. Bradshaw's suicide. Then we shall see. Mr. Poirot, there has been a reply to your inquiry. Excellent. A summary, if you please. Rupert Bradshaw apparently spent a number of years as some sort of beachcomber, whatever that may be, in the South Sea Islands. Two years ago, he returned to New York and a life of dissipation there. Recently, he scraped together what little he had left and set sail for Egypt, bragging that he had a pal there from whom he could borrow funds. Mm, An optimist. Clearly. He was in Egypt at the time of Sir John Willard's death. Is it so? Rupert then returned to New York, complaining bitterly about an uncle who cared more for the bones of dead kings than his own flesh and blood. He plunged back into a life of drunken carousing until, without warning, he shot himself leaving a note behind. Saying? It was brief, but melodramatic. He referred to himself as a leper and an outcast, and concluded by declaring that he was better off dead. Your thoughts, Miss Lemon? Regarding? The case? If I am being compelled to speculate, a practice I abhor, I suppose it is possible that this unprincipled Rupert person decided to do away with his wealthy uncle, possibly by the use of poison. And? And, speculating, he bungled it. Sir John mistakenly got the fatal dose. Rupert was horrified, as well he ought to have been, and fled back to New York. There, news of his uncle's death reached him. He realised that his crime had been needless. 
In a fit of remorse, he took his own life. Miss Lemon, you display unexpected imagination. I most certainly do not. Pardon. Still, you argue a good case. It may even be true. You will please book immediate passage for two. We depart for Egypt tomorrow. We? Why am I going? To make arrangements, organize my affairs, and above all, to take notes. But I don't want to... You need to thank me. Allez! Allez! I had my revenge watching Poirot be wretchedly seasick as we crossed the channel and again when we set sail from Marseille. Four days later, we arrived in Cairo. I myself am an excellent traveller, but by that time, even I was wilting under the merciless sun. Poirot was the picture of outraged affliction. My poor boots. Regard them, Miss Lemon. What about them? Patent leather. Always so smart, so shining. Look at them now. They appear to be rather dusty. Sand is inside, which is painful, and outside, which offends the eye. Also, this infernal heat has caused my beautiful moustache to droop. Droop! So I see. It says in the guidebook... Always with the guidebook. The traveller cannot help but be awed at the sight of the pyramids. They, at least, are of a pleasing geometrical shape. Miss Lemon, I beg you, s'il vous plaît, put away the guidebook. As you wish. Mon Dieu! What is that horrible sound? Oh, good. Our camels have arrived. They will convey us to the camp. No! No! Yes, yes. Up you go. I shall pass over the spectacle of Poirot on a camel. Suffice it to say, he groaned, lamented, and invoked every saint in the calendar. Until... Stop! No more! Fini! Our caravan halted while Poirot transferred painfully to a small donkey. He bounced along atop the tiny beast in martyred silence until we arrived. Monsieur Poirot! And, uh... Felicity Lemon, private secretary to Mr. Poirot. How do you do? I am Sir Guy Willard. Dreadfully sorry I wasn't able to meet you in Cairo. An unforeseen tragedy has upended all my plans. Not another death? I'm afraid so. Dr. Tate of the British Museum. A terrible loss. And the cause? Tetanus. But Dr. Ames, our medical man, can tell you more. The museum is sending someone out to replace Dr. Tate. But, as you may imagine, we're all terribly shaken. The others are in the tent. If you will follow me... Inside the tent, introductions were made. In addition to Sir Guy, we met Dr. Ames, the physician, and Miss Harper, the late Mr. Bradshaw's American secretary, who soon made excuses and departed. Monsieur Poirot, we are utterly dumbfounded at this series of disasters, but it isn't. It can't be anything but coincidence. Tell me, Sir Guy, are you still determined to complete this excavation? Without question. No matter what happens, work at the tomb will go on. And what do you say to that, Monsieur le Docteur? I agree. I'm not for quitting. Evidemment, questions must be asked. When did Dr. Tate die? Uh, Three days ago. How certain are you that it was tetanus and not, say, poison? Entirely certain, Monsieur Poirot. Have there been any other cases of tetanus in the camp? No. And earlier, Mr. Bradshaw's death, could that have also been tetanus? No. He had a cut that became infected. Septicemia set in. 
Uh, to the layperson they may look similar, but I witnessed sepsis far too often when I was in the tropics. It is unmistakable and completely different from tetanus. Then we have four deaths. One from art failure, one from blood poisoning, one suicide, and one from tetanus. That is correct, Monsieur Poirot. Are you, all of you, certain that nothing links these four deaths? Such as? To put it plainly, was any act committed by these four men which might have incurred the wrath of Menera's spirit? What? Is that meant to be a joke? Au contraire. You don't seriously attribute these deaths to the curse of a dead king? Monsieur le docteur does not believe in the supernatural. I do not. I am a man of science. And was there no science in ancient Egypt? No, no, no. Do not answer. But, Monsieur Poirot, I mean, the idea is absurd. I have here a book that has proved most instructive. Voila! Magic of Egypt. Uh... I scarcely know how to respond. Reflect. Ask yourself, what if? Meanwhile, I shall explore. Au revoir. Miss Lemon. Yes, Dr. Ames? Is Poirot in earnest? Regarding what? Well, that Wrath of Meneron nonsense. That ridiculous book. Does he seriously intend to, well, I hardly know what, exorcise evil spirits? I could not say. Excuse me. I marched off, rather irked, and located Poirot chatting up Miss Harper. And I know everyone thought there was hanky-panky going on, but for pity's sake, he was 68 years old. And my godfather. People are awful the way they gossip. True. Miss Lemon, this is Miss Harper, secretary to the late Mr. Bradshaw. We were introduced not ten minutes ago. Eh bien, then we are all friends, Miss Harper. What can you tell me concerning your late employer's nephew, Rupert? Not too much. Rupert turned up a couple of weeks ago, like a bad penny. I'd never met him before, but some had. Sir Guy and, I think, Dr. Ames? And was Mr. Bradshaw happy to see his nephew? Just the opposite. Excuse me, Miss Lemon, are you taking notes? Yes. Proceed. Oh, um, well, it, it wasn't long before the old man and Rupert went at it, hammer and tongs. I'm not one to eavesdrop, but the whole camp heard them shouting. And the nature of their argument? Money. The old man kept bellowing, not one red cent. Then young Rupert flew into an awful temper and lit out for Cairo. And was he in good health at the time? The old man? The young one. I guess. No, wait. He was complaining about some kind of ailment. I think he saw the doctor. Couldn't have been serious. He left right after. One final question. Did the elder Mr. Bradshaw leave a will? No, sir. He did not. I've been through all his papers and wired his attorneys. And you? Do you intend to stay on with the expedition, Miss Harper? Are you kidding? I only stayed this long to finalize Mr. Bradshaw's affairs. Laugh if you want to, but I don't aim to be the next victim of the Curse of Manhara. I already told Sir Guy that Monday is my last day. There you are, Monsieur Poirot. I thought you and Miss Lemon might be interested in seeing more of the excavation. Thank you, but... Absolutely. We are eager for a tour, Sir Guy. Au revoir, Miss Harper. After an interminable trek through the dig site, during which, I was pleased to note, Poirot gazed mournfully at the sand and grit caked on his boots. 
We were finally shown to a pair of tents assigned to us. Merci, Sir Guy. Before you go, tell me, how do the Egyptian laborers feel about the curse of Menhera? Hassan tells me that they are uneasy. Ah, yes. We have yet to meet Hassan. Splendid fellow. He was my father's head man. But he reports to me now. Not that I had any say in the matter. He informed me that it would be so. And what does Hassan himself think? He insists that there is, well... Evil in the air. Poppycock. Quite right, Miss Lemon. Well, I shall leave you both to wash up and rest. I'll be back to escort you to dinner. And with that, the young man departed. Evil in the air. I, too, feel it. The discovery of King Menorah's tomb is of particular significance... Historically speaking, at the evening meal, Sir Guy discoursed at length on Egyptian antiquities. I fixed an attentive look on my face and pondered refinements to my filing system. And then I spotted a shadowy figure outside the tent. Sir Guy, Poirot, look! What the devil? When tarnation is wrong with its head. Behold, Anubis, jackal-headed god of the dead. It's ducked into your tent, Harper. What in the Sam Hill? Come on, let's catch the fellow. And with that, Sagai dashed off, followed by the other men. Do you think it could really be? I do not. It is an ill-natured prank of some kind. If it is, I sure hope they catch the culprit. Indeed. I have a few choice words for him. Only, what, what if there is no sign of any living soul? What then? If Anubis expects to convert me to a believer, he'd best materialize right this minute and offer me a proper cup of English tea. The search party found no trace of an intruder. They trooped back in low spirits, minus Poirot, who had gone off on some business of his own. Sir Guy escorted Miss Harper to her tent, and Dr. Ames accompanied me. We discovered Poirot busily surrounding our tents with diagrams etched in the sand while delivering an impromptu lecture on magic. I did not bother to take notes. Some nonsense about white magic versus black with an occasional reference to the Book of the Dead thrown in. Good grief, Miss Lemon. Never have I heard such a hodgepodge of frank superstition and credulous ignorance. I don't know how you bear it. With fortitude, Dr. Ames. Fini. Ah, Miss Lemon, Monsieur le Docteur, will you join me for a bit? I have taken great care to ensure our safety. Balderdash, Monsieur Poirot. You must know that's what this is. Who can say? Please be seated. Ah, what I would not give for a soothing tisan at this moment. As if on cue, the tent flap lifted and a dignified Egyptian man entered carrying a steaming cup. Ah, my good friend Hassan, what have you there? Uh, My idea, I'm afraid. I thought you might like some chamomile tea. Do help me sleep, our very kind. None for me, thank you. I I hope you won't be offended, Dr. Ames, but in my view, tea isn't proper tea unless it is brewed from tea leaves, not flowers. I confess to feeling much the same. Still, many people insist. Good Lord! I turned to see Poirot convulsing, the empty cup falling from his hand. He's having a seizure of some kind. No! Hassan, what have you done? There was something in that tea. Do not blame Hassan. For you see, I did not drink. (gasps) Oh! <gasps>
The doctor and I gaped as Poirot sat up, smiling as Sir Guy and Miss Harper silently entered the tent and stood next to Hassan. When the two of you turned away, I poured the tea not down my throat, but into a little bottle which will go to a chemist's for analysis. I, I don't understand. Oh, but I think you do, Dr. Ames. It is over. No! In a flash, the doctor's hand went to his mouth, a smell of bitter almonds filled the air, and before our stupefied eyes, he swayed and fell. After that, all was pandemonium as the doctor went into convulsions. Death came swiftly. Poirot herded us away from the scene to await the authorities in a different tent. For pity's sake, Monsieur Poirot, won't you explain what just happened? The doctor took cyanide, Miss Harper. It is as well... He had murdered three men. Dr. Ames? I I thought you fixed on some sort of occult explanation. No, no, no. I, Hercule Poirot, am not superstitious. What I believe in is the power of superstition. Once people are convinced that a series of deaths are supernatural, one might stab a man in broad daylight and still his death would be put down to the curse. And Dr. Ames took advantage of that fact. We. Oui. I imagine he was inspired by the death of your father and the flurry of superstitious rumors that began to circulate. No one derived any great profit from Sir John's death, but for Mr. Bradshaw, a man of immense wealth, it was far different. In New York, Rupert Bradshaw bragged that he had a pal in Egypt from whom he could borrow funds. He then spent all he had to reach Cairo. Alas, his wealthy uncle refused his entreaties, n'est-ce pas, Miss Harper? Not one red cent, he bellowed. Yet, somehow, Rupert purchased return passage to New York. Someone gave him money. Miss Harper told me that Rupert and Ames had met previously. Dr. Ames himself mentioned his time in the tropics. Could it be, I ask myself, that they knew each other in the South Seas? What if they did? What made you suspect the doctor of murder? Words, Sir Guy. Words meant literally, which were taken metaphorically. I'm absolutely lost. Rupert Bradshaw wrote in his suicide note, I am a leper. Yet no one suspected he took his own life because those words were literally true. He contracted leprosy? I think, no. But he believed it. Because his pal, a trusted doctor, told him so. Why on earth should Ames tell such a cruel falsehood? I suspect that uh, years ago, perhaps as a joke, Rupert Bradshaw made a will in favor of the doctor. In Egypt, Ames saw his chance to gain riches. How? Dr. Ames treated Rupert's minor skin ailment and gave him funds to return to the U.S. Then he awaited opportunity. It came when old Mr. Bradshaw suffered a cut. The old man went to see the doctor straight off. Oh! Oui. Dr. Ames pretended to treat the wound, but he made certain it became infected. And with every treatment, the infection worsened. Ames then wired Rupert, falsely informing him that he had a dread disease. First, the elder Mr. Bradshaw died of blood poisoning. Then, a despairing Rupert took his own life. In the fullness of time, and to the great astonishment of all... The Bradshaw millions would pass to Dr. Ames. What about Dr. Tay? Was his death just coincidence? It may be that he really did contract tetanus, or it may be that Ames felt another death, unconnected to the Bradshaw fortune, would aid his cause. It is remarkably simple for a trusted doctor to kill 
rather than heal. Which is why, Sergei, your mother was quite right to fear for your life. Good Lord! I knew the truth, yet had no proof. So I enlisted the aid of Hassan. He confessed to me that it was he who had masqueraded as Anubis. At my request, I thought to frighten the doctor. My little comedy alarmed Dr. Ames enough to target me as his next victim. No accident this time, but Hassan was intended to take the blame. And, you see, I was right. Despite the accursed sand and the heat abominable, the little grey cells, they still function. Poirot's theory proved correct. Among Dr. Ames's papers, a handwritten will was discovered, signed years ago by Rupert Bradshaw, apparently scrawled in a fit of drunken merriment. In Rupert's own words, he left, quote, my cigarette case that you admire and everything else of which I die possessed, chiefly debts, to the best pal a man ever had, Robert Ames, end quote. Do you know, Miss Lemont, I find that I vastly prefer modern civilization to antiquity. What do you say? Shall we return to England? I shall book passage at once. Also, since you chose to drag me to Egypt and frighten me by feigning death, I should like a raise. But... A substantial raise. Ah, <sighs> bien. Poirot and the Egyptian Curse was adapted from The Adventure of the Egyptian Tomb by Agatha Christie. The cast includes David A. Gingrich as Poirot, Linda Bronsky as Felicity Lemon, Stephen F. Vertle as Dr. Ames, Ian Garthwaite as Sir Guy, Maggie Polson as Miss Harper, and Margaret Rayther as Lady Willard. When live performances were forced to close due to the pandemic, Artists Ensemble Theatre began producing theatre for the mind. If you can, please consider donating to AET or become a patron by pledging monthly. Learn more at artistsensemble.org. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>